would you be willing to do church service? And you know what? The best time to do it is what time? Saturday morning at, say, 11-ish. So while we're here worshiping and learning from Scripture, our youth and Pastor Amanda are at this convalescent and rehabilitation center sharing God's word, not, not just through the Scripture, but also through their deeds and their actions and by showing love. Amen? So you guys have done a pretty good job of raising these young people. But this morning, this sermon is not for them. It's for you, for the adults, for the parents. Now, some of you are saying, well, I'm not a parent of these young people, so I don't have to pay attention. No, this sermon is for you as well. This sermon is for us to wrestle with what is God calling us to do and how are we called to minister to our young people. So here's what I want to do. There is a book that I used in order to kind of prepare for this sermon. And the book is, the title of the book is called Hurt by a guy named Chap Clark. And this is a professor um, who teaches at Fuller Theological Seminary. He's done a lot of research. He is one of the uh, preeminent experts in youth and youth ministry. So when this guy writes something, when he gives a lecture, people listen. And so I've been reading this book in preparation for this sermon and, and also just for trying to minister to young people. Um, and he paints a very, I think, important picture of what our youth are going through. So here's what I'm going to do. The first part of this message, we're going to spend some time looking at a couple of quotes. Don't get bored. Don't tune out. You have to hear what he is saying. And then we're going to answer the question, so what? What does this mean for us? Amen? Are we good? Okay. Here we go is the first quote. This guy, in order to do more research, right, he went in to be a substitute teacher at one of the public schools, okay? So his job as part of this research, he goes and he just is going to listen to the stories of these high schoolers. And, and one of the high schoolers says this, because he says, I'm here to hear your story so we can talk to adults and tell them how, to, how do we best meet your needs. And this is what, he's, what one of the kids says, tell them our story. Tell them the truth that nobody cares, that nobody listens, that teachers and coaches and cops and parents don't even know who we are. Tell them that and see if anybody listens. Ha, not a chance. Now, I know some of you are already beginning to have ideas in your head about what you want to say in response to this. I know. So I'm going to ask you to hold off on that. One of the things that this book teaches us is that for a lot of young people, they feel like they don't really matter all that much. Now, at church, we say the youth are the future of our church, but I think at least here we realize that they're not our future. They're also central to the, to the, to the present of our church. I mean, they're out there ministering. They're out there preaching and praying and, and hugging and holding hands with people that aren't even their grandparents. I would say they're not our future, but they're a vital part of our present. They're the ones that are out when we're feeding the homeless, giving out clothes to people that need clothes. They are our present, and yet this still may describe how some of them feel. Next quote. The surface of the adolescent landscape is where internal fears, loneliness, and insecurities must be held in check. Where friendships are generally shallow and where performance and image are the name of the game. Isn't that true? We had a whole sermon on what does it mean to be beautiful, what does it mean to be worthy and have value. And what he is saying is they're having to kind of juggle all of these different parts of life that make everything difficult, and they're trying to make it look like everything is fine on the surface. 
Now, some of you are saying, well, adults, we do that too. Yeah, but you're adults. You're supposed to know how to handle it. Young people don't. They haven't all necessarily learned how to be able to deal and wrestle with some of these feelings. Mid-adolescents are not able to compartmentalize their lives while operating out of a personal sense of self. Society has let go of personal and individual commitment to the young, and they are forced to function out of several selves. What that means is when they come to church, they have to fit into a certain mold. When they go to church, they're another mold. When they go to extracurricular activities, they're somebody else. At home, they're somebody else. And so what happens is that they become all of these different people because everyone expects something different from them. And so instead of helping us helping them to become who God made them to be and who they are, instead we are just another layer of asking them to be somebody else. Change this about you. Don't do this. Don't do that. Stay away from those things. And so they have to become somebody else. Adolescents have been abandoned. They have therefore created their own world, a world that is designed to protect them from the destructive forces and vials of adult community. In other words, they are finding community and retreating to their own ways of learning how to soothe and cope with things when what they should be doing is going to an adult that they can trust and that they can know they can count on when it feels like the walls are closing in on them. I think there's one more quote. We have evolved to the point where we believe, and this is mostly for parents, where we believe that driving is support, being active is love, and providing any and every opportunity is selfless nurture. We are a culture that has forgotten how to be together. So in essence, and and I was kind of a little bit um, taken back (laughs) when I read this because I kind of live into this sometimes. But what he's saying is as parents and as adults, we think that loving our kids and doing everything for them, you know, taking them to sports or doing this or doing that, that that's showing them that we love them and that that's what they need. But I think that for the most part, and I'm learning this, that you can do all of those things for children, but they won't necessarily feel like they are loved. Now, I know for you as adults, you're thinking like, yeah, but that's how we show them we love them. But that's not always how they hear it. First of all, as parents, you're supposed to do all of those things. That's your job. But very few are going the extra step and trying to say not just how was your day, but actually listening and validating how they feel. Let me give you an example of what doesn't work. Um, when Kim and I first got married, you know, I, was, I all of a sudden had three kids. And the oldest one was, she was 14 years old or 13. I can't remember, 13 or 14 teenager, right? Teenage girl. And the the saying goes that, you know, teenage girls are a little more dramatic than than boys. And so it's that joke, right? Oh, it's a teenage girl, right? That's just what's supposed to happen. Well, I've heard that saying, but I never actually lived it. So going in, I, I, I was like, okay, this is what we have to do, right? Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting the game plan together, right? Kim's the quarterback, but I'm the coach, so to speak. It doesn't always work, by the way. <laughs> But I was just trying to tell the kids, in a sense, always what to do. And what I learned is they don't need to be told what to do. They need somebody to listen to what they're actually saying. And I spent very little time listening to what they were saying. Because for young people, and for all of us, perception is 100% reality. And if they feel like they are not being valued and loved and cared for, even though that may not necessarily be true, 
their perception is what becomes their reality, and then it just keeps compounding on top of each other. What we find, and what some of you are thinking is, and I know what most of you are thinking, okay? When it comes to young people, the problem is they're entitled. Some of you are like, amen. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Or they're lazy. Or they need to learn a better work ethic. Or they need to do this, or they need to do that, or they need to do all of these things better. And maybe some of that, there, there is some truth to that, I suppose. But I think that if we can get beyond that stereotype of young people, only if you can get beyond that will you actually be able to make a difference and minister to them. I'm right, most of you thought that, right? Most of you were also thinking, man, if they, if they knew what life was like when I was growing up, well, it's not the 1960s anymore. It's the year 2012, and, and the world has drastically changed. I'm not saying it's more evil or it's bad. What I'm saying is they have access to more information faster than any of us have ever had it, right? They're, they don't even know what a card catalog is at a library because they have search engines on computers. The world has drastically changed, and what has happened, especially with Internet and social media, they have become more isolated through no fault of their own. They are simply a product of the society that they were born into. Okay, so we don't get to blame them for all that stuff. If you can get past all of the stereotypes, God can actually use you as an older person in a very powerful way to minister to young people. It's not just for parents. And, I, and I'll actually add this. Parents, they have a lot of influence over kids because they can enforce rules. But parents aren't always the best people to influence young people. How many of you growing up, and some of you, I know this is true, uh, but for how many of you growing up, when you had um, a problem, like a love problem, right? You love somebody or you think you do and, and you want to talk to someone about it. How many of you actually went to your parents, truthfully? I never did. Why? Because the one time I did, my dad's like, you have no idea what love is. You're too young. You know, just that's nonsense. In Spanish, he said it. And he had a very short, very little patience. <laughs> Our parents don't help us with that kind of stuff. Who do we go to? We go to other adults who are going to actually just listen to what we have to say, and then they'll, they'll be open for you or for me to actually speak a word of truth or wisdom into their life. Young people just want to know that they are loved and that they matter. They don't need more rules. They don't need more regulations. Parents give them plenty of that, trust me. And where else are they going to find adults who only want the very best for them that is outside their home? Where else? Where do they go once a week? Church. You see, church isn't a place where we come to to get something out of it. The Bible tells us that when the disciples had seen Jesus ascend to heaven, they went to the temple and they worshiped and they blessed God. Nowhere does it say that the disciples went to church to get fed or to get filled or to get something from the, from the priest. Nowhere in the Bible will you find that. Nowhere. The church was always the place that people went to worship. And this is where we have an opportunity, a mission field, to actually just love the young people. I guarantee you that if you take the time to listen to their story, any one of their stories, even the one you don't like that much, <laughs> whichever one that is, there's always one, I don't know. <laughs> I love them all the same, by the way. 
That's why I got them Pastor Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> She's awesome with them, by the way. She loves them way more than I could ever. I mean, she is amazing with them. But, but the thing is, this is a place where we, we show them love, where you just, if you just listen to their story, you will not be able to help but for your heart to go out to them and to love them. Because just as adults, just like there's problems in our lives, they have problems in their lives. And they, might, they may not be the same, but they also haven't learned how to cope and how to self-soothe and how to deal with things. Some of you still haven't learned how to cope and soothe and deal with things. And then we expect them to be perfect. And that's not at all what our calling is to them. I wish that for every one of our young people, and we don't have a lot of youth, so how awesome would it be if next Sabbath, or even today at Potluck, five of you at different times just kind of went up to them and said, hey, how's your week? How are you doing? Don't even say, can I pray for you about it? Just, hey, how are you doing? Hey, tell me about this thing that you're doing or that thing that you're doing. You have no idea what kind of influence you can have in the life of a young person if you just tried. But here's what happens. For most people, they just want their needs met, which means I want somebody to ask me how my day is. I want somebody to ask me how my projects are going. I want somebody to ask me how work is going. Guess what? There will be some people who do that. I'll try to do a better job of that. Our elders will try to do a better job of that. But I just want you to focus your attention on being the person that cares and loves these young people. Because there's a few of them here. And the last thing that I would want is for them to say, my church experience sucked. No one listened to me. No one cared about me. I have even heard horror stories where young people get up in front of the church and someone from the congregation tells them that they shouldn't be up there because they're either playing the wrong kind of music or they're wearing the wrong kind of clothes. Isn't that crazy? That's ridiculous. And you know what my favorite is at church? When kids run down the aisles. Little kids. Not, a, not high school kids. <laughs> Little kids. God was gracious to me anytime that I was not acting correctly. And we're going to get to the text right now. But I just have a real heart for young people. Um, I, I, God was gracious to me because as a kid, as one of the little kids, like, you know, Evan's age or the Caleb or Matthew or anyone, you know, any of these kids. By the, which, by the way, I think we can, there are money makers. I think they can put on an act for us. You know, we just have to kind of teach them a little bit, Sanchez family. Because I think they have the, that kind of chemistry. <laughs> um, but God was gracious to me because any time that I wasn't sitting perfectly still and perfectly quiet in church, my dad would do what many Mexican dads, I suppose, did. And he would take me to the bathroom. Not because I had to use the restroom, but because I needed a spanking. And I wasn't a bad kid. And, and, it's, and it's ironic because the bathrooms at the church, the Anaheim church, um, were right behind, the, right behind the stage, right behind the baptistry. So while pastor was preaching, I was getting a spanking. I, I believe in spanking. It worked. <laughs> but God was gracious because although my experience at church wasn't perfect, and I got literally spanked at church, God was gracious because there was adults around me that I knew that I could go to. When I was a kid, there was youth that were ministering to me. As I got older, there were certain people that God just used in such powerful and amazing ways that God allowed them to minister to me in such a way that I've given my life to serve God in the church. 
And you could have that same effect on some of these young people. Make the experience, and for the children too, make their experience at church the best possible experience they can be. Bring candy for the little kids. Because guess what? They're going to associate, wow, when I come to church, I get candy. I love it there. Sorry, parents. You can email me later. Church must be the place where children and young people feel the safest, loved, accepted, and people actually listen to them. If they do that, your job will be done. Just ask them, how are you doing? Oh, and but one caveat, don't try to be cool, because then they'll just be like, boop, loser. Just be yourself. If you're a boring old person, be a boring old person, but just show them you love them, you know? Don't try to be cool. So now, let's move on to scripture, because we're here, we're preaching, and I need to get to it. Then they came to Capernaum, Jesus and his disciples, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? By the way, this is adult stuff here, and this is going to show you how foolish we are. What were you arguing about on the way? But these disciples were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. (laughs) He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. As adults, we get so caught up on all the on all the, on all the uh, arguments that are really quite foolish. We do. Maybe we're not arguing about who's the greatest, but we argue our points and our opinions as though we are the greatest because our, our point should matter more than somebody else. And yet Jesus says, first of all, no, you're wrong. If you want to be the greatest, if you want to have the greatest influence, be a servant of all. Then Jesus took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. In other words, the opposite is true. If you don't welcome a child, you're not welcoming me. And that's where the conversation ends. You know, I've heard people say, you know, children have to be taught to be reverent in church. And they have to sit there quietly. And they can't be walking around or rolling under the pews because that's not reverent. And yet Jesus is like, no, let him come to me. He stops everything and he says, let him come to me. And I, so, I know some of you are like, no, 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 but, but we're in church and Jesus was in the outdoors, but Jesus calls himself the temple. And he says, in three days I will destroy it and on the third day I will resurrect it. Jesus says, don't get in the way of children. Another part of scripture says, it'll be worse for you if you get in the way of children. You better, it would be better if you tied a weight around your neck and sunk to the bottom of the ocean if you get in the way of children in Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't want that. If they want to run around in church, let them. Let them. My sermon's on MP3. You can listen to it later if it's that important. Church is very little about what happens here, but it's about what happens in the hallways. It's what happens in the patio. It's what happens in the parking lot. And I know I'm rubbing some of you the wrong way. I get it. I'm a pastor. This is my livelihood. I want to be preaching. I need a job. But the truth is, this is not the most important thing. The most important thing are the relationships that are facilitated and, and, and grown through the experiences that we have in church. That's why we have such an awesome time at socials doing karaoke. Even if you're uptight, you know you had fun. You know it was fun watching people not be able to sing very well. That's church. What do you think we're going to be doing in heaven? Sitting in church all day? No. What are we going to be doing in eternity? Hanging out with Jesus, if you can get close enough, because there's going to be tons of people, and hanging out with each other. It kind of seems like we can begin to live that experience today. 
it kind of seems to me like church plays an extremely important function for what it means to really understand what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus says, let the little children come to me. I know kids can kind of get distracting when they're crying and making noise. I get it. I hear it too. But let's power through, folks. Let's let the children have the best experience. And oh, by the way, church should be fun for them. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is boring. Actually, if you read the Gospels carefully, Jesus was kind of like, was kind of sarcastic, which means he liked to joke and he used to like to say funny stuff. Because the truth is, is that faith and spirituality is about how we take what God has done for us, the grace, and then we dispense it on our young people. Let their parents discipline them. Parents, that's unfortunately your job. Discipline and give them rules and be mad at them, but also listen to them. But it's for us to come alongside them. So that's text number one. Text number two, Matthew chapter 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say that he's John the Baptist, others say that he's Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And your question must be now, what does this have to do with anything else in the sermon? It's this. You can either paint a picture of grace, hope, love, acceptance, the picture of Christ that he actually is loving, generous, forgiving. You can show the awesome picture of Christ to our young people, or you can show them a picture of judgmentalism, of rules, of heavy regulations. You get to decide what picture of Jesus you show these young people. And understand this, the Bible says that if you are an obstacle to children, God, in between, it would be that you're thrown into the, what does it say? It would be better that you have a millstone around your neck and thrown to the depths of the sea. You have so much more influence than you think. The problem is so many of us are so wrapped up in our own problems that we don't take the time to care and love others. Who do you say Jesus is by the way you talk, by the way you love, by the way you greet one another, by the way you take time to spend with others? Now, no one's perfect. And I know sometimes we look at the young people and we're like, what in the world were they thinking when they decided to, and then we can fill in the blank, the music they listen to, the shows they watch, the way they dress, the way they comb their hair, whatever, right? Oh, gosh, if they only would listen to the sermon more, then it would change their lives. No, that's not how it works. For most of you, when you were young, you weren't paying attention to the sermons either. If you stayed in church, it's because God was gracious enough to show you that this was a safe place. So I'll have one more story, and then we'll finish up. Um, God was also gracious towards me um, because I had all sorts of identity crises growing up. Now, they were kind of safe. They were kind of safe because, you know, my parents would ground me <laughs> if I tried to get too crazy. My mom always thought I was a gangster because I cut my hair too short. Never buzzed it. Um, I never looked like one. I, I never wore baggy pants and white T-shirts. I never did it. I, I don't like the Raiders, so I never had Raider hats or L.A. Kings hats or 
I mean, none of that. I, I, I dress like this my whole life, almost. I have pictures from when I was in kindergarten until high, through high school. But for whatever reason, my mom thought I was a gangster. We had a joke. We had a joke. I have to share this joke because we're friends. We had a joke. Um, you know when you're watching the news and somebody gets shot, um, and, then, and, they, and everybody in their family says, oh, they were such a great kid. He never did anything. He didn't hang out with gang members. You know that, right? My brother and my sisters and I, we had this joke. It was my joke, actually, so let's see. And I said, you know, if that, God forbid, if one of us, you know, got gunned down, my mom would say, I knew he was a gangster. I knew it. <laughs> Still. But the truth is, I mean, we, we have fun. I love my mom and my dad. They, they taught me everything. But, but the thing is this, that I had all sorts of identity crises, especially as I started getting older, and it was like the things I would say and the things I would do, and I would be like, oh, I don't care about church and whatever, you know, all kinds of dumb stuff like that. Like, I mean, it was, looking back, I'm like, oh, you're so, you got lucky. But, but through that, there, was, there were two, two men who, who God sent into my life who, who just shaped and ministered to me. One of them um, was the pastor of the church who wasn't at the time anymore. He, was, he moved on to the conference, but we all know um, Ernie Furness, who, who became a mentor to me, and he just kept asking me to be a part of church and asking me to teach and asking me. He, he was able to see beyond the foolish young person that I was on the outside, um, and he continues to mentor me in ways that I could never have even imagined. So God was gracious because of a godly man, and the other person was an associate pastor at the time, um, Emilio Girado, who, um, who became like a surrogate father to me, um, who loved me when, when I was going through a phase where I thought, you know, oh, I don't need my parents and dumb stuff, right, young people stuff. Um, and he, in essence, became a surrogate father to me when, when God knew that I needed that. Those are all miracles. God's hand was in my life, and as I look back on it, it's like I have no doubt that God is in my life moving forward. But if it weren't for those two men, I may not be standing up here today. That's the kind of power that every one of you sitting in here today has. They didn't try too hard. They didn't do anything necessarily spectacular. They were just present. They were just there listening. They were there when I needed, you know, help or, or whatever advice. But God placed them there because God knew that I would be standing here today. And this is the message that I have with you. Who do you say Christ is? The picture that I was shown of Jesus by these men is a picture of a God who is full of grace, who is full of mercy, who is forgiving who is generous, who is always there for me, no matter how dumb and foolish and bad I have been. That is the picture that you have an opportunity to share with our young people. And in 10 years, in 15 years, in 20 years, you'll be able to look at them and say, we are proud of the person they've become. We have to mess up. They're going through identity crisis. That's what's supposed to happen. But the constant in their lives can be you. And you can minister to them in such a way that 20 years from now, they will be ministering for God wherever it is and whatever they're doing in a way where they might be able to bring people to Christ, all because someone in their church cared. And so I leave you with this. Let the children come to me. And who do you say I am? Will you paint a picture of grace or will you paint a picture of judgment? Let's pray.
Gracious God, you are the God who has not forgotten us and who has not left us alone. And so I pray that this message would be challenging and that it would hit the hearts of the people um, who are here this morning. May you instill a spirit of love, grace, of acceptance, of inclusivity into these friends of mine here, Lord, that as the young people come back, that they would only feel loved and that they would know that you are the God who is on their side. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.